Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. In the studio with frickin' Dilbert over here on your frickin' computer and your phone, <laughs> checking your text, and you, excuse me, I have business emails. Rachel just like, I was like, I'm ready to record to you, my love. And you were like, hold on, let me put you on hold for a second. Yeah, Kyle, go, shoot. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. <laughs> oh, no, it's just Griffin. Don't worry about it. How's the mergers going? Mm-hmm. Like frickin' Dilbert over here. Buy, sell, sell, buy. All the time with mm-hmm. me. Just put me on the back burner so you can Dilbert out. Got to get that commission, you know? And you're reading Dilbert. You're reading a hardback, which I don't even know they made, <laughs> collection of Dilbert comic strips, which, baby, I don't know if you've got the, like, heard the news. It's got that ribbon built in for a bookmark, you It's know? funny, and it's like the tie that curls up. But Dilbert is canceled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess I'll have to get rid of these books then. Scott Adams is an extremely problematic big piece of shit. And I think that means by proxy Dilbert, who did nothing wrong, is canceled. <laughs> Wait, here, here, I'm going to throw away my books right now. Clunk, 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 clunk. What's, and that's them rolling down the stairs? <laughs> that's them that's Or are them you falling just very into quickly the, throwing away like six books? That's them falling into the trash can. Okay. This is a wonderful show where we talk about things that we're very into. Do you have any small wonders aside from Dilbert, your very favorite comic strip? <laughs> uh, okay. Um... And you go first. (laughs) Always. Uh, I am playing a video game right now called Last of Us 2, which I don't really want to talk about, but I do want to talk about uh, accessibility options in video games uh, are very, very cool and something that developers are very much prioritizing right now. And Last of Us 2 has a ton of them, including things like, um, you know, text to speech for uh, a lot of things. There's a high contrast mode where like the backgrounds are in sort of black and white, but like characters and important objects are just bright, vivid colors to help people who need help seeing things like that. I think it's fucking rad and super cool. such an important thing for like making video games available to everybody. And it's really nice to see uh, a game as huge as Last of Us 2. It's like the year's biggest blockbuster so far. Like take that stuff so seriously. Uh, it is like a, I believe, a guiding light for uh, other other games that, you know, will follow in its footsteps. And it's just really cool to see that stuff. Yeah. Also, the game's pretty neat. Okay. I thought of it. I thought of a small okay. wonder. What is it? The Puddle Jumper. The Puddle Jumper is good. When I was a kid and I wanted to get in the pool, I had to put on a water wing. Yes. Which was sort of effective, but not particularly safe. Exhausting. It was exciting because you were essentially <laughs> keeping yourself afloat by the strength of your biceps alone. Yeah. Like you kind of had to like constantly. Ha- yeah, it was not. The, the Puddle best. Jumper is is for children. It uh, is for particularly small children. Uh, and it has like a bands around the arms and then this whole like band around the chest. It's a life. Thing. It's a life vest plus water wings, essentially, that is designed to keep a kid just upright no matter what they try to do. It's not for like infants. And I will say that for a long time, Henry was was so slim that he could not effectively wear it. But this summer has been the first summer where it has fit him appropriately. And yes. it is incredible. Yes, it's very, very nice. <laughs> Um, hey, you go first this week. Do you want to break me off a piece of that big wonder? <laughs> big wonder. <laughs> Is that going to be our thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to give you a teaser for my first thing. Oh, boy. Dun-dun. Oh. Dun-dun. I know this one. Dun-dun. Yeah, Rocky. <laughs> Yeah. I'm talking about sharks. All sharks? Yeah, just sharks. Oh, yeah. Sharks are fantastic. I can't really talk about Jaws, although no. that is how I lifted 
the song. I'm, I'm saying mainly I can't talk about Jaws because I'm not super familiar with the film. I have seen oh, really? It. I've seen it maybe once, and that was a long time ago. I've seen it. Yeah, I've only seen it a couple times, but mm-hmm. I feel like it leaves quite an impression. It does. Yes. It does. Our, so much so uh, that Henry knows that that is the song associated with sharks because that is what we sing. The things he knows <laughs> that I don't know where he is learning them from. <laughs> I don't know. He's quarantined. Like, he has no excuse. It's not going to be like, yeah, this kid at school is obviously teaching him about Jaws. I think a lot of times we don't pay attention to the things he is watching, and maybe that is how he's learning it. Maybe, but he's not watching Jaws. That's true. (laughs) I would notice if he was watching fucking Jaws. Anyway. Uh, Sharks are the big fish. They are. There's a lot of debate about whether they're fish or mammals. What I read said fish. (laughs) I, I used to think mammals, too. Yeah, whales, I guess, are big, sort of more chill sharks most of the time. This is my understanding of ocean taxonomy. The fish, so they have the gill slits on Mm. the side of their head, like the fish do. Right. Uh, And then they have the pectoral fin. Right. Um, (laughs) This is going great so far. I feel like always the need to like, you know, set us all on the same level. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So shark, let's, let's so just it's important agree. to note shark have fin and shark have gills. Yes, we are all in agreement. There are more than 470 species of sharks. Number one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding <laughs> Most of them are fish. I love this. I think you'll appreciate this because I know you love a nickname. Until Mm. the 16th century, sharks were known to mariners as, nope, not mariners, mariners. (laughs) To Dan Marinos as (laughs) all the Dan Marinos got together and agreed. This is the Tito Taylor of 2020. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me about Tito Taylor. I still get tweets about that. People still... From people named Tito Taylor. (laughs) Um... Mariners. Mariners as, quote, sea dogs. But that's like seals and stuff. Like, I feel like seals are very clearly the dogs of the sea. I know. Well, maybe maybe before we We even knew what a seal was. I see. I didn't know this. The teeth embedded in the gums, not affixed to the jaws. That's probably why they come out all the damn time. Yeah. uh, Sharks can lose 30,000 or more teeth in their lifetime. fuck Fuck off. That's that's more hairs than I lose. <laughs> the rate of tooth replacement varies from once every eight to ten days to several months. Every day, can you imagine? Every day, a shark loses one of his teeth, right? Like, or, no, or they said once every eight to ten days, they lose one tooth. Yeah, or they reset all their teeth. That's what it sounded like. No, the rate of tooth replacement from once every eight to 10 days to several months. So that to me suggests that they- All their teeth get replaced. Because no. if they lose 30,000 and then you only lose one every eight to 10 days, how long does a shark live? Oh gosh, I can't do that math. It's The math is hard. I think it's saying they replace all their fucking teeth. I don't think that's true. I think that's true. I, I have know. I collected so many shark teeth necklaces. The only way that's happening is if shark are just like, every time they talk like, hey Jerry, how's the- Oh shit, hold on. Clunk. How's the, how are the kids? Ah, oh, fuck, another one came out. Shit. Oh, man. In most species, teeth are replaced one at a time as opposed to the simultaneous replacement of an entire row. That's probably good for sharks, huh? That there is a, a shark, Tuesday. though. There is a shark, though, that, that has an entire row replacement, and that is the cookie cutter shark. I like that. That's cute. Apparently, they leave little round cookie bite marks in, you know, like other sharks. And so that's how they got their name. That's adorable. Isn't that adorable? Uh, I was reading a description that says they can take ice cream scoop size shaped bites out of other sharks. So they really should be the ice cream shark. 
Yeah, it stopped being cute, <laughs> though, unfortunately. Uh, I want to tell you about another shark, super rare, called the Megamouth shark. Ooh. Uh, only, uh, actually less than 100 have ever been seen. Holy shit. Of these, these sharks. Uh, they swim with their mouth wide open. Good so far. <laughs> and they have 50 rows of small, sharp teeth. All right. In each jaw. I know we're supposed to like sharks now. And I get it. Like, <laughs> sharks are overhunted and, like, are have very, very, very bad and unfair PR. Yeah. Which is probably not helped by me actually featuring Deep Blue Sea on this very show that we're talking about now. But I am still allowed to be extremely afraid of them, right? Like, I would never do anything to hurt a shark or sort of get out there and say, like, hey, we should all be out there hunting more sharks. But I personally am allowed to hear the thing that you just said and be fucking mortally terrified of that, Yeah, right? I mean, that's a lot of teeth, granted. Um, growing up in Missouri, mm. not particularly afraid of sharks. No. Did not go to a beach until I was a teen. Wow, really? Yeah. Uh, and it was Virginia Beach. So, probably not super well known for sharks. Maybe not. Um, here's what I'll tell you for 2019. Only 64 unprovoked shark attacks. See, that's fine. And only two people died from shark attacks that's in 2019. Not, that's not great. But 64 unprovoked, like, how can we prove, you know what I mean? They probably came to shore and they're like, oh, I didn't do anything. And they're like, you're probably moon. I will say of those 64, 41 were in the U.S., so. So I think we all know. <laughs> um, I think they're great. I think they're super cool. There's so many of them and they mm -hmm. all have these different little features. I read about a shark that is pink that I was kind of excited about. Oh. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of cool sharks out there with a lot of different quirks and i would encourage you to look into it and i will tell you don't worry about these guys no be okay i read something that said don't wear glittery jewelry and splash around a whole lot and you'll okay. be fine that's probably good advice yeah um yeah i remember i think it was on the man well i it may have been on the special features of the deep blue sea dvd <laughs> but i remember somebody talking about like oh no all the sharks are very sweet it was the dolphins that we worked with who are real assholes <laughs> <laughs> that that quote always stuck with me whenever I think about sharks. Where I'm like, sharks are fine. It's Lisa. Lisa Frank has done like a lot of good PR for dolphins who are apparently big assholes. I believe but, it. Yeah. Um. Hey, can I tell you about my first thing? Yes. My first thing we were watching because everybody's talking about it. The the Last Dance. The um. Uh, yeah. Sort of Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls in their heyday mid nineties. Neither of us are huge basketball enthusiasts, so we kind of delayed in watching it. But I had heard so many good things that we just started yes. Up. It has it has I, I guess quick sidebar about the Last Dance like dredged up. I have never been uh, like my interest in sports as a thing that I would watch like multiple games of a season of and become invested in like a team and its players and their performance and stuff like that only happened in my adulthood. I feel like after I moved to Cincinnati where I was like living in a city with a baseball team that I really enjoyed. Um, but like watching the last dance, even though I wasn't like watching a ton of games, I knew so much of that stuff through like cultural osmosis in a way that yeah. like was so interesting. Cause when you grow up and you're in elementary school and especially middle school during that bulls, like Jordan era, like 
it's just every it was everything it was uh-huh. so huge uh anyway that is I'm, I'm not talking about that for my first subject my first subject is actually the greatest sports game ever made which is nba jam oh and this is such a big i feel like contributing factor to that even though michael jordan wasn't in nba jam yeah. which is a topic i will cover as i get into nba jam because there's an interesting oral history on sports illustrated that you should go read if you're interested about nba jam you've have you played nba jam like how no. much do you know about it i mean the only sport video game i have played um was like nhl 98 Ooh, 96 was like the hot one and 96 i think was 96 or 98 i think 96 is the one that was in swingers the yeah yeah. okay anyway nba jam is a series of uh basketball games uh that kind of had its heyday back in that mid 90s like uh jordan bulls era of basketball um and it was like that pre-space jam heat uh, which I think was 96. The first NBA Jam came out in 1993, uh, and it was a two-on-two basketball arcade game uh, from Midway who made a lot of sort of like arcade hits like Mortal Kombat and Cruisin' and um, uh, NFL Blitz, which was sort of the NBA Jam of Wait, football. when you say two-on-two, yes. does that mean that there were two players on the court? Versus, yes. Oh. Yeah, there were, two players, uh, there were two players from each team on the court. So you had a oh, pair of players from each team. Interesting. It was all very, very single-minded about being just a very fun, accessible arcade basketball game. Uh, this oral history I read uh, in, in this Sports Illustrated article was like super, super interesting interesting because it really dives into how that idea kind of came to be uh so there's a one of the developers at midway a guy named mark termel was uh credited with like taking this new technique that game developers were using where they could take photos of people and create these sort of photorealistic assets and sprites and stuff out of it kind of reminiscent of rotoscoping do you know that animation technique that they did back in like early disney movies like sleeping beauty and all all those uh, old films kind of doing something similar with that except they were using them mostly for like fighting games and things like that but mark termel was a big basketball fan so he's like let's see if we can do this for basketball so the developers at midway went around chicago and like found players uh like sort of more lesser known nba players and just like took pictures of them while they were playing basketball and that's how they got like all of these assets and animations uh and so uh in this sports illustrated oral history uh mark termel talks about how he was showing these like dunking animations to other developers and they're like oh yeah that looks that looks pretty good but like nobody was like bowled over by it and they didn't have the NBA license at this point. So this was just all proof of concept. So he's like, oh, let's see, maybe we'll turn it up. Maybe we'll just like ratchet up the the at the time the it was dunking called, height. It was called the ball and hoop game. It was called respectful basketball simulation. <laughs> uh, but they kept kind of tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. And then like eventually uh, Tramel started to show off this animation internally of players just jumping t- two stories into the air and doing cartwheels and like dunking from like the mid court line and like doing all this like impossible superhero shit and like there were people in the studio who are like what the fuck are you doing like this 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 is wild like we're nobody's gonna buy a basketball game where you can do this while other people were like more deeper, faster <laughs> keep going and so they kept going and like eventually sort of that direction of just like let's just make it stupid like let's just make it like as fun as possible without adhering to like the simulation idea of basketball and that's how they got like 
uh, the idea of just they wanted something to sort of change the tempo of the game or add momentum to the game. So they got this system where if you scored three baskets in a row, you became on fire. And oh now like gosh. all of your dunks are just like nonstop style of the stylish, like wild uh, maneuvers. It's like Tony Hawk Pro Skater kind of even right? deeper than Tony Hawk Pro Skater because <laughs> the basketball was literally on fire. And Mark Turmel was like arguing with like other developers like the basketball has to be on fire. And people were pushing back like, no, what are you fucking talking about? But that resistance eventually gave way to just this idea of let's just make it fun like let's there's a turbo meter where you can hold in a a trigger button and just like now you're running at the speed of light and like jumping three stories into the air and it adds a a sort of a strategic element to the game uh and the the further they went into this process the more they kind of just leaned into like let's just make it fun and that sort of single faceted design direction i think is so amazing and it is why this game still holds up to this day uh because like when you just sort of design a game without worrying about like oh well let's cut this fun thing because it makes it less so and so uh when you don't have that you just make a game that is just fun no matter when you play it or who is playing yeah, it. yeah that's what. so smart to me because i feel like the number of people that would like a game specifically because it was realistic is actually pretty small. Yes. It seems like most people really just want to get in there and do crazy stuff. So uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that kind of falls in line with that. Like, let's just make it fun aesthetic. One is the commentary for the game, which is so iconic. Uh, it's all done by a guy named Tim Kitzrow and the script that he went off of for this entire game that like inspired all of these catchphrases like Boom Shakalaka, which was uh, sort of a misquote of a lot of different like funk songs. There's a Sly in the Family Stone song where they say uh, Boo Laka Laka Laka. Uh, like it is pulled from that, right? And all of these things that people still fucking say like about basketball or anything i have a pair of shorts and i looked in and like it said boom shakalaka like inside (laughs) the fly of them like it's everywhere uh this script was two pages long are we just gonna gloss over those shorts no we're not um (laughs) we'll talk more about them later they're chubbies i got chubbies everybody because they i wanted to show off my gams get off my fucking case um And they can't do like color commentary because it's, you know, this game shipped on like cartridges with very, very little memory. So they can't be like, oh, and he's reversed it. And now he's coming down and jumping off the key. Like, so instead you just have carnival barking of just like, oh, he's heating up. Boom shakalaka. And like all of that is so (laughs) stupid and so like iconic and great. Uh, They could not pitch this game to the NBA. They would not accept it because at this time in the mid nineties, like arcade machines, especially coin operated ones uh, existed in what everybody sort of thought of as like seedy places like bars uh there was like a a quote about like this peep show in new york uh where you could see like arcade machines like through the window and so the nba didn't want their brand associated with that so midway had to do like this whole pr campaign and pitch it and show like all these family entertainment centers where there are arcade machines and finally the nba agreed to it uh and that's how we got NBA Jam. Now, uh, Michael Jordan was not in the game because at this time, Michael Jordan had secured his likeness like from the NBA. So whenever they did licensed things, they couldn't include Michael Jordan in it without his consent and without him like getting a chunk of change out of it. Um, so he wasn't in the game. I forget who was – I think it was Scottie Pippen and – uh, I can't remember who the other player was uh, from, from the Bulls that you could play as. But they did – get uh, an e- uh, a call once, uh, Midway did, from Gary Payton, who was also on that Bulls team, uh, saying that him and Michael Jordan wanted a copy of the game with them in it. 
as players. So they sent in their own photographs of them playing basketball oh to use gosh. as animations. And That's they cute. sent them like special edition arcade machines uh, with them as players with like maxed out all-star stats. There's only a handful of these cabinets that exist. Shaq had two of them. <laughs> One of them was in Shaq's home, so he could just play, play it wherever he wanted. The other of these like special edition NBA Jam machines traveled with Shaq, like wherever he went, like oh wherever they were playing games, like they would have somebody pack wow. up this machine and bring it with them. Isn't that fucking great? Can you imagine that? Like LinkedIn, like, well, what, what was your job uh, during this time period? I'm, oh, <laughs> I was the caretaker for an arcade machine that traveled across it, okay. the country. In that person's defense, though, an incredibly, I would imagine, valuable arcade machine, because uh, I don't know how many of these exist, but they are, uh, they they were very scarce. There have been a few NBA games, that are, NBA Jam games that have come after that, uh, but none of them like really lived up to that heyday. I played this game so fucking much. And then in college, like we played it every night when we'd go over to like our friends' houses and like, you know, have a few beers. Like eventually this just kind of, we would put away, you know, whatever Halo game we were playing or like whatever and just would play NBA Jam because you can play it all night and it is just fun. What it's system just a fun was this game. on? Well, it was on a few different systems. It was on Genesis, but we played it on SNES. There was also a tournament edition, but it was also in uh, arcade cabinets and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, man. I think I could still probably pull out the code that you had to punch in to like play as Bill Clinton. Uh, <laughs> NBA Jam kicks ass. It's a good video game, and that's There's all. There's a lot I don't know say. about this game. There is a lot I don't know about this game, but it's a very good game. Hey, can I steal your way? Yeah. Griffin. Yeah. You know it's a shame. What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia <laughs> Styles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell 
sell uh, your time? Yeah, you can do that also. Anything is possible. That's um th- th- for the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial they had. That was my voice yelling, anything is possible. In the wow. Background. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Hey, head to squarespace.com slash wonderfulpod for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code wonderfulpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Got a couple Jumbotrons here. Uh, should we bring up the fact that we repeated Jumbotrons last week and didn't even realize it? Well, you did You did mention that it sounded familiar. Okay. And well, we chalked it up to wedding season. But yeah, it turns out. Turns out. Whoops. Uh, whoopsie doopsie. Listen, y'all, it's tough. But More bang for your buck, huh? I guess so. <laughs> Probably won't happen again. And then watch us do it like literally right now this episode. It's We do a lot of Jumbo. We do a lot of content. In general, I, I tell the same jokes. I'm a bim bam all the time. It's, and when you say we, we mean mostly Griffin. Mostly me. Well, you write grants and stuff. That's content. Oh, if you huh. think about it, I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, here's a jumbotron for Daniel, and it's from Andrea, who says having entire conversations through gifts of Muppets and goats isn't for everyone. How lucky then that we met under such strange circumstances, since we're fluent in many of the same languages. My ASL and your science stuff, notwithstanding. Can't wait to come bother you and Colleen and give Kaylee a smooch on her perfect furry face. You're the best. Mm, you know we love some Muppets over here. We do. We do. What's a perfect furry face, do you think? Are we talking about like length of the fur or softness? Mm. Are we talking about like if there's stuff matted in there? It has a lot to do with, I mean, with the features, right? I feel yeah. like good eyes, nose, and mouth placement. Symmetry. Mm-hmm. Fibonacci sequence. Yeah. The golden ratio. Eyelash length. Eyelash depth. <laughs> Can I read you the next one? Please. This one is for Corey. It is from Hannah. My dearest goofball, quarantine has not been great, but quarantining with you makes it better. Thanks for always being down for a game of hand and foot, a carpool karaoke session, or cleaning up after Henry when he eats too fast or has a hairball. Okay, almost had me there. You had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. Henry, Bo, and I think you're the best. Love, your weirdo forever. Um, Our Henry's never done a hairball, right? No, but he does eat too fast. Yeah. Maybe they are talking about him. Is he doing hairballs? I don't know. There's a lot about this he kid. He puts a lot of stuff in his he mouth. He does. I've seen him eat hair before. Not like a lot of it, but like one or two. <laughs> I should have done something. Mm-hmm. Gosh, being a parent is hard. Hey, if you want to get a Jumbotron and maybe twice on the show because we're uh, uh, bad at this, well, good news. We have spots uh, for Wonderful that are opening up for the second half of 2020. And uh, we're going to be doing a, uh, a, a drawing to uh, let let folks into purchase Jumbotron slots because demand is, you know, we do two of them an episode and demand is, is pretty high for these. So if you want to uh, get a Jumbotron, you have until uh, Friday, July 3rd to enter the drawing. And then uh, if your name is drawn, you'll have the option to purchase a Jumbotron on the show for 100 bucks. Only personal messages. We're not doing uh, commercial messages at this time. Uh, and the air date is estimated, not guaranteed. Um, so if you want all the details, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron drawing. And if you have questions, email Daniel at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. 
hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Can I tell you my next thing? Yes. It is also a game. Oh, wow. I know. Oh, wow. Where are you going with this? It is Simon. Simon? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear about Simon. Yeah. This game has been around since we've been alive. It feels like it has always existed. Um, I imagine people are familiar with it. There have actually been a lot of... I don't know, man. A lot of versions of Simon that I will allude to in my in my segment but maybe not in the last like 15 years yes i feel like simon kind of had its heyday uh so it is a uh device operates on batteries Mm -hmm. traditionally uh creates a series of tones and lights that you have to repeat so you push buttons there's colors there's lights there's sounds you have to remember them and repeat them to win the game okay if you lose the game you have to start over you can play this by yourself, or you can play this uh, as a team. Um, I personally liked this game because you could play it by yourself. <laughs> as an only child, I was always seeking out games that allowed you to play by yourself. Uh, and this was one of them. I'm trying to remember. There are, you have sent me on a fucking complete trip right now. Babe. Yeah, I'm wondering what you're doing In a way there. that you never have really before. Like I, I find your segments very engrossing, but this is the first one that is like reminding me of all of those like Tiger Electronic uh, games mm-hmm. that we had, and we had a fucking lot of them, like yeah. Lights Out and Merlin, the Tenth Quest. Yeah, like, so that's the thing. There were a lot of variations of this that were created. Right. Um, I am familiar, and this apparently, so this was a Milton Bradley yes. product, and I thought, oh, I had a version of this, also from Milton Bradley, called Max Backtalk. Whoa. It's from 1986. And the thing with this was that you could record your own sound under the light. So the light would shine and then you would record into the speaker a sound and it would be associated with that light. Uh, There was a commercial for this that did star the guy from uh, Police Academy. Oh, sure. Gutenberg? No. The one that did the voices. Oh, Michael Winslow. Yes. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name. See, Gutenberg could do voices, too. <laughs> Everyone remembers Michael Winslow for his incredible voices, but... Uh... Um, the problem was that you had to remember which sound you made with which <laughs> color, because it would repeat it to you, and yeah. a lot of times I would kind of trip myself up, so most of the time I just usually ended up saying the color. Oh, that's... I would that's... be like, red. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, by the way, I just gave my phone a terrible virus by looking at listings for Merlin the Tenth Quest, but sorry. Uh, so Simon was launched in 1978, appropriately at Studio 54 in New York. <laughs> they apparently they constructed like a big Simon that hung over the dance floor, and that was their big release. Fuck yes! Yeah. Are you kidding? You would not catch me on that dance floor at that point. Like people would be like, "Griffin, come on, we're all doing so much cocaine." <laughs> I'd be like, "Hold up, guys!" Boop 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 boop. <laughs> Uh, it was created based on Atari's arcade game, Touch Me. <laughs> no, thank you. 
<laughs> this was an arcade version that was housed in a cabinet and had four large circular buttons of the same color. And this was in 1976. Uh, Richard Bear and Howard J. Morrison saw the game, thought it had nice gameplay, but was visually boring and the sound was terrible. <laughs> uh, so they did a prototype based uh, using the Texas Instruments microcontroller chip, which apparently a lot of the games used in the 70s. It makes a lot of sense to me, yes. Uh, and they named the game at the time Follow Me, which was renamed Simon based on the whole Simon Says yes. phenomenon. Not really a phenomenon, mm. but I don't really know what to... I mean, because it is also a game. Yeah. Um, so the sounds, the tones of the game were inspired by the notes of a bugle. So... <laughs> They they use they use the tones associated with what a bugle could do. Okay, I think they were talking about like you know four tones, right? And what uh, instrument would be appropriate for that? And they is the bugle does the bugle only make four? I guess so, right? I guess a bugle only makes doesn't cover the full range of an octave, right? Yeah. So they said there is the E note, C sharp note, A note, and then an E note that was an octave lower than the blue. So I guess three. That makes more sense, I guess. Well, no, it's it. four different notes. That's like the taps notes, right? That's yeah, like what the bugle yeah. play. Yeah. Simon debuted in 1978 at a retail price of $24.95, which is equivalent to $98. Holy fuck. No way. I know. This explains why I got a Max Backdock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure as technology advanced, we did have one of those old ass Simons, though. It was the top selling toy that Christmas. Wow. Uh, well, that's 1978. That was a little before your time. Yeah. I imagine it had reduced in price a little, hopefully. Well, yeah, and advanced in tech. Although we had a lot of very old toys by the time I came around. Uh, so there have been other versions, as I mentioned, of Simon. There have been, uh, let me just name some of them. There's the Simon Trickster, the Simon Sticks, the Simon Flash, the Simon Swipe, the Simon Air, and the Simon Optics. So let me tell you a little bit about the Simon Air and the Simon Optics. Are these new, like, advanced tech Simon? Yeah, these are, like, post-2000. Okay. Uh, Simon Air, you could it was like a circular device, and you could just wave your hand over the color, and it would yeah. sense. And sometimes you had to do, like, two at the same time. Or if you were doing two players, they would light up four, and you, you and the other player oh, had to wave at the same time. How pointless. <laughs> Just let me touch the button. It's it's dawning on me right now. Sorry, while you're talking, like, have we explained exactly what Simon the game Simon I, I is? I said to- I said it's a device, and there's a series of tones and lights, okay. and you have to repeat them. Okay, okay, but they get longer, and you have to. It's a memory thing. Yeah. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon Optics is like you are you control it. It's like a Google Glass, glass thing. situation. I bet that worked really good. <laughs> there was a thing Tiger made called the R Zone that was a head head based game system that was like had the sophistication of like a tiger game handheld which were like these very 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 low quality kind of game and watch games but they had a little cartridges that you could plug into them and i remember i had like a primal rage fighting game cartridge that you plug into your r zone which was a lens that covered one of your eyes but it looked like dog shit and the games were like so bad and it cost so much money it was so stupid um i really enjoyed this game Partially because I mentioned because I could play it by myself. Um, also, I have always had a terrible memory. Like, yeah. I psych myself out when it comes to like patterns and like the like sequences. Um, but I still remember with my Max Backtalk, the song that it would play when you messed up. 
<laughs> which says a lot about my skill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it would go. Dun, 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 Wow. Yeah. That really left a, a mark on you. I know, huh? right? That was the song of failure that I <clears throat> became so accustomed to. Became your anthem. Wow. <laughs> uh, you have made me very nostalgic just now. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, can I tell you about my second thing? I'll yeah. go quick because we've been going pretty long. Yes. Uh, mine's a movie and it's Spirited Away. And you can watch all these Ghibli flicks on HBO Max now, which we picked up uh, mostly for this very reason. Because uh, Henry likes him a Totoro. And uh, yeah. he also enjoys it him a It's shocking how little old Totoro appears in that film, <laughs> yeah. by the way. It's a point for the reflection. It's not a great film for a three-year-old because not a lot of stuff happens A lot in of challenging it. themes in there, too. Well, yeah, I guess so. Sort of handled I mean, in a, a Ghibli-esque way. A sick way. parent, which sick is not easy is for a young child. Not great. A lot of, uh, lot of convalescing in the Ghibli. But that uh, Totoro, uh, that so Totoro squeezable. Very soft. Henry likes to squeeze him a Totoro. Uh, Spirited Away, I feel like, is aimed at older crowd maybe not um princess mononoke old because that has a lot of decapitation in it but uh uh an older crowd miyazaki i think was aiming for like 10 year old girls when he was designing like this movie and who it would be for uh and if you've never seen it before uh rectify that because it's one of the best movies i think probably ever made it's my favorite ghibli movie uh and uh i actually got to do the do like an intro for it when they re-released all the studio ghibli kids movies in theaters last year so if you saw that then i'm probably going to repeat myself quite a bit uh it is about uh, a young girl named chihiro who, uh, along with her parents, ends up in this like strange, magical world where spirits come for R&R, basically. And uh, she gets trapped there. Her parents get transformed into pigs. And she has to kind of integrate herself into this world to find a way to save her parents and get out. Um, and really that- great character, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, if you think about movies that are targeted towards young girls, like, typically it's all, like, love interest princess kind of stuff. And this is this is not that movie. There is nothing conventional about this movie yeah. in a way – the way that it handles sort of, like – conflict and plot structure and like what her like quote unquote hero's journey is like she definitely follows the archetypical hero's journey but in a non-archetypical way yeah uh and she starts out the movie kind of a kind of a bratty kid who's moving to this new town and just isn't happy about it uh and is just very scared uh of everything and by the end of the movie like her 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 journey has been like very strange and non-linear but it's also been like very very realistic i feel like in the way that she that she grows uh the thing that about this movie that really bowls me over is how like um, deep and rich this spirit world is that this that this movie takes place in uh, all sort of focused around this big resort where spirits come and you know uh, relax in 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 the baths that are set up there and just have this sort of like luxurious break from you know the 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 real world that they inhabit and it doesn't tell you a whole lot about how this world works right yeah. it just establishes that like there are rules like these are clientele from from the spirit world that like come here very often but like you don't learn why you don't really learn much about these spirits they have very very specific traits and very very specific attributes but you never really like go beyond like the surface level the movie just kind of assumes it like throws you in there right with Chihiro who doesn't know anything about this world and just kind of assumes that you're gonna just roll with the punches yeah that's one thing so when you're like 
like when you're younger and you're first learning about, you know, creative writing, you hear a lot about like trusting your reader, you know, trusting your audience and that if you are too expository, like it's going to be very clear that you don't trust, you know, your audience to come to the conclusions that you want them to come to. And Miyazaki like is always just like really good at that. Hey, you can hang. Yeah. In all of (laughs) his movies, like he's, he's, he's very, very good about that. But Spirited Away for me is just like. Ghibli firing on all cylinders. The movie yeah. comparison that is often made and I think is apt is Wizard of Oz. Although Wizard of Oz is even like a little bit more explanatory about yeah. the things that happen in his world, but not super explanatory. She lands in in uh, Munchkin Village or whatever and like, they're just like, oh, you killed the witch and now it's time to go yeah. to the wizard. Yeah, she starts like, out in Kansas. Like, yeah. like, this is very real and then and, it's totally And, and that happens here. It's all, all of like the spirits and uh, like themes of the movie are uh, based in like Shinto Buddhist folklore, which like I'm not an expert in. Uh, but like, I find that like very, very fascinating that they, you know, he's plumbing a very sort of like traditional thing for these very, very vivid and colorful ideas. All of the like architecture is based on like classical, uh, I forget that there's like a open air architecture museum of like Edo Tokyo era, uh, buildings and stuff that's like still open that you can go visit that apparently all of the designs are based in. Everything is so ornate, like every room from, uh, you know, the bathing rooms to like the boiler room where some of the movie takes place. Like everything is just so like, uh, that's nothing new again for like Studio Ghibli movies. They are all about just these movies, uh, these, these scenes dripping with detail. Uh, but it's just so, so rich here. Um, but the things that, that, this this young girl has to do to like uh survive and find her way out of this world are just so weird like she has to save this one spirit whose body has accumulated all of this garbage by giving him a bath although his body is just like filthy and disgusting and like uh, uh taking over this whole room that whole sequence to me is so fascinating because it's not like she's fighting off this beast and it's not like she is conquering this villain it's like she's trying to do this act of kindness with this terrifying thing that she doesn't understand. And to me, like that portrayal of like bravery and growth is so great. Like it's so it instantly endears you to this character, I feel like, uh, and 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 shows you very concretely a way that she is growing. And that's just like one example of like the kinds of things that she has to do, the challenges that she has to overcome. They are not the usual things that you see in movies. And to me, that's just like is why this movie succeeds so much on top of the fact that like you feel like this world, you are only seeing the top layer of it and you are just overwhelmed with this uh, th- this belief that just there's so much more going on that it's just not going to show you because it doesn't have time. Like if it, if it explained why these spirits were here and who they all were, that would be the whole movie and it would be a bad movie. Yeah, right? Like like for me, their fantasy tends to be intimidating because like with something like, you know, Lord of the Rings where there's this like really rich history and you have to kind of absorb all of this knowledge of the world, like this movie does not require you to do that. It's also a movie about sort of like uh, traditional Japan butting up against uh, like commercialism uh, in the wake of the 80s when uh, Japan had this like bubble economy around technology that kind of popped in the early aughts uh, and they were sort of having a reckoning with that. Uh, it's a it's a coming of age story about a, you know, a 10 year old girl, but it's also like tackling much headier themes that I do not consider myself qualified enough to talk about. Uh, it was the most successful Japanese movie of all time when it came out in 2001 uh, and received just rave reviews. At, uh, currently, it is the ninth highest rated movie 
ever released on Metacritic, which is like a, an aggregator of, of uh, you know, review scores and stuff. Uh, it came out in 2002 with Disney as the distributor in the US, but Disney like barely put it out in theaters yeah. and made it in 151 theaters and they advertised it like less than their uh, like direct to VHS. Like here's yeah. the third sequel to Aladdin. Like I remember like my cool arty friends talked about this movie, but like I had never heard of it. Well, then it won the Oscar for yeah, best anime picture. Right. And then people yeah. were like, okay, well now maybe we should start paying attention to it. Uh, and you can watch again, you can watch all these movies in HBO max, but like if you've never really gotten into Ghibli, like spirited away is a very, very good one to get in there too, because it really shows you uh, one, like how very, very good they are at, at uh, animating things just like no matter what they are and creating these incredibly vivid scenes but it also represents this kind of uh non-traditional storytelling that is just so uh just beguiling it is just fantastic uh and i love it i love it it's a good movie and i've just watched it again and it's good kind of spooky henry didn't like it there's a big 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 mean baby in this movie oh, that yeah. we were watching it and we were like Henry watched the bathing the monster scene and no face and all this shit and Henry was like I'm down to clown and then this big baby shows up and is like I'm gonna break your arm and he was like I'm done bye turn it off <laughs> baby's too big get it out of here uh, do you know what our uh, friends at home are talking about well, I mean, obviously I wouldn't. Well, Please I'll tell, tell you. Uh, Rosario says something I find particularly wonderful is running into sticks or branches from trees that look like or could be used as walking sticks. We decided to make a campfire for Father's Day yesterday, and my dad found a tiny branch that looked just like Yoda's walking stick. There's a picture included. It was a primo walking stick with like a head and everything. Good walking stick. I love a good walking stick. We used to go hiking <laughs> in the trails behind the museum in, in Huntington and just like... Every time I found a walking stick, I was like, yeah, I'll pretend to be Gandalf for a little bit. That's all it was, really, if I'm being honest. Uh, Zachary says, something I find wonderful is the feeling of crushing up a still warm popcorn bag after pouring the popcorn into a bowl. I like to hold the warm ball of garbage in my hands until it's cold before throwing it away. And that feeling always relaxes me, even if it is just for that short moment. How powerful. <laughs> I am so envious sometimes of these submissions because it... It indicates a mindset that I wish I could have more of. Mm -hmm. you know? If we had this mindset, the show would be so fucking easy. We could do it every day. <laughs> I know. I know. Like paying attention to like, oh, wow, a hot knife and butter. Wow, that is really great. And like actually being able to retain that joy. A hot wadded up bag of popcorn is like so far beyond hot knife You're and right. butter. This You're is right. like Zachary's on some next level shit and I appreciate it. And you know, next time I make popcorn from a bag. I'm going to savor the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Uh, and thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Yeah, Maximum Fun, uh, really great community. There's a lot of really great content right now. If you go to MaximumFun.org, you will find just tons and tons of podcasts, like new episodes coming out every day. You do not have to wait around uh, to find a new incredible podcast on Maximum Fun. Uh, we will have a link in the episode description to resources uh, to support Black Lives Matter and uh, find more resources for uh, anti-racism education that are uh, invaluable. There's a lot to dig into there uh, that are very, very helpful. Uh, I think we do have ads again next week. Uh, and we will be donating the ad revenue to a, a, another cause uh, that, that we will select and tell you all about. But for right now, you know, don't don't let up on the gas. Uh, there's still a lot of things to fight for, like arresting the police that uh, killed Breonna Taylor and so, so much more. But, you know, good good place to start and keep going is, is that link that we will include for you. Um, I think that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably it.
And until next week. I'm sweating like a dog. Me too. I'm sweating like a dog up in here. I thought it was because I was nervous, but I think it's just actually it's not nerves. I don't even think it's that hot. I don't even think it's that hot. And Griffin's got on a sleeveless tee. I've got some people call it a tank top, and I'm wearing it the hell out of it. Or is it wearing me? No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> do you think it's a sexual heat? Between us? Oh. I didn't even consider the fact that maybe the sexual heat between us, but I am wearing a tank top, and you are looking at my freckly, freckly biceps. <laughs> and I know what that does to you. Each freckle just sends a beam to me, mm, just like... Pure erotic energy. Just heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's like a sexy magic eye painting. <laughs> What's in there? Um, uh, me. Um, just I old. mean, it looks to me... Like a rhinoceros. That's correct. That's actually my rhinoceros tattoo. So you're cheating? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.